Okay, so I, I've been told to uh, to go for about 40 minutes, uh, and then we'll pause, and um, after, after a little break, you can ask any questions you want. Uh, there's no magic bullet on this one, I'm afraid, uh, but you've probably worked that out by now. But many here would, uh, probably why you're here, and uh, so I'm told many here would be in professional jobs in a world city which places all sorts of demands upon you. People are busy. Uh, and also in a culture where uh, the language of being busy and hectic sort of seeps into everyday conversation. So I don't know what it's like at Church by the Bridge. You may be very godly. I think the most common response I get to the question, you know, it's just sort of open-ended question at church in Mayfair, how are you? Busy would probably be your number one ranking answer. Uh, how are you? Yeah, busy. Um, and it just affects us. My son the other day uh, came out with something which he must have learned from me, I guess, or people around him. He was just talking, and he was yawning away. I said, oh, you look a bit tired, my boy. He said, yeah, it's exhausting being me, Dad. <laughs> and you think, where on earth have you got that sort of language from? It's exhausting being you. Golly. Uh, but we can, so the language effects. Look, here's what I want to do this evening is um, when it comes to how we spend our time and time pressures, there are both inward and outward demands or pressures upon us. So I do want to consider both. So inward, there are things which drive us and shape the way we make decisions, and there are external pressures upon us as well. I mean, good pressures by them. We're just going to look at three in that latter half in particular, work, church, and family. We could talk about more, but those are the three main arenas in which we live life. Um, there's, rest, there's leisure, there's friendships. I haven't included them, but we haven't got time for everything. Um, and in one sense, that, if nothing else, when it comes to looking at these things practically, you haven't got time for everything. You just haven't. So you've got to make choices, uh, and that's one thing we'll look at. But let's look inwardly and outwardly then. So first, uh, I'm just going to work through this uh, over the evening. Hopefully it'll make sense and be useful. What are the sort of things that put pressure on us inwardly? Very, very helpful, printed at the top there, is uh, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, is the one printed on the sheet. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Uh, going to do the whole section, Matthew 11 to 13, really about opposition to Jesus' kingdom, but the fact that it'll grow inevitably. Even just before he said these words, he's declared that many will resist him. But it's a very lovely offer he makes here. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Two words Jesus uses, weary and burdened. Uh, you can go away and check, but weary is, for, just bear with me for a moment, but technically it's a, it's a present active verb. It's the things we do, in other words. Burdened is a passive verb. So it's things that have been dumped upon us. And the two work inevitably together. We weary ourselves, exhaust ourselves, knock ourselves out, run out of steam. We weary ourselves 
trying to get through the burdens that we have. So here's Jesus' picture, essentially. It's that uh, you wake up in the morning and people put burdens upon you, like having a, a big bag of cement chucked upon your shoulder. There's a burden placed upon you, and it's just exhausting going through life when you've got a bag of cement on each shoulder. That's going to tire you out. It's going to be harder getting through the day carrying those two things. There are burdens placed upon you, and it's exhausting carrying them. Now, what sort of things is he talking about? Well, look, the most obvious what he's talking about comes out later in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, uh, where Jesus lambasts the Pharisees for placing a burden of law upon people. So the worst or the most obvious burden Jesus is talking about is the burden of trying to save yourself, the burden of self-righteousness, the burden of trying to earn a relationship with God. That's a sort of fundamental primary sense I think he's talking but there are a lot of secular cousins related to that. So we're just, again, thinking of pressures upon us. Here are some, I don't know, maybe three. We'll see what we've got time for. Three, I think, of the common burdens that people carry, certainly in London, okay? Apart from the religious one, these are the secular cousins of them. Three, let me give you three. First, oh, let me know what we do. We do the desire to prove yourself expectations of others, and then the need for control. Let's have a just look at those three. One, the desire to prove yourself is a massive burden to achieve. I, um, a little while before coming out here, I watched a uh, documentary. Uh, it was on uh, the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, because I'm very cultured and sophisticated. And so I was watching this documentary on the Berlin Philharmonic, and they were touring China under Simon Rattle. Now, the Berlin Philharmonic will be reckoned probably the best orchestra in the world. You may argue the monkeys over that, but it's all right. I'm not saying it's a British one. We're not talking about cricket and who's winning there. I'm talking about music at this point. So the Berlin Philharmonic is, is deemed probably to be the best orchestra in the world. Okay, they're touring China. So you've got 128 musicians in the orchestra. Three of them are trialists. That is, they've gone with the orchestra to see if they're good enough to join permanently. If you get into the Berlin Philharmonic, you are, that's as good as it gets. Uh, in that industry or profession. That is the very pinnacle of being a classical musician. Did those three trialists enjoy their time in China? They did not. You know, they keep being interviewed and they're stressed and they're anxious and how am I doing? But the really striking thing about the documentary was it interviewed lots of different people and everyone in that orchestra was wildly insecure. The guy who'd been playing the cello for 20 years. I've just taken a bit longer to learn this piece than normal. It's a bit unsettling. I hope my ears are still as good as they used to be. A woman who's, you know, playing the violin, been there for 25 years. My bow work was a little off in that rehearsal. Hopefully no one noticed. Um, hopefully I got away with it. Just all very anxious. Am I good enough to be here? Now, that is burdensome. And if you feel that sort of pressure, not as a musician, but in whatever industry you're in, that will really affect how you view your time and what you want to do with your time. It's a strong burden upon you. Come back to that.
Okay, that'd be one, just the, uh, uh, the need to prove yourself. Uh, alongside that is um, uh, burdened by the expectations of others, which is also can be uh, pretty debilitating. Uh, in the UK, they keep commenting the, the, the England football shirt uh, is very heavy to wear. It's not made out of iron, it's made out of polyester, probably not anymore, is it? But um, what they mean by that is that there's a burden of expectation on the players. And they're good footballers, but they put the England shirt on, it's all a bit more intense, and they don't do so well, very often. Now, the expectations others place upon you, that matters, often parental. Parents who have said to their children, we gave out quite a lot for you to have this education, don't ruin it. Or sometimes it's just unsaid, I achieved this, I was a, whatever it was, top surgeon in a hospital, and you've entered medicine. <laughs> sometimes they're not vocalised. Sometimes it's from a spouse. You know, you need to be doing a bit better. But again, this is also background before we get to the detail. That's a sort of, that's, it's a very obvious pressure, isn't it? And sometimes it's absolutely crippling. I mean, the most extreme example I can remember seeing was I was a school teacher before entering uh, pastoral ministry. I remember teaching one lad, Ed Tipping, super lad. Uh, his grandfather had gone to Cambridge University, Gonville and Keys, which is one of the, the finest of the Cambridge colleges. His grandfather, his father had gone there. His older brother had gone to Cambridge and Gonville and Keys. Where do you think they wanted Ed to go? Yeah, you're bright. Um, he... I taught the older brother, he just, he was a good student, he just wasn't really ever going to make that. And I remember at a parents' evening, sitting down with his parents and saying, I'm not sure that's the right place for Ed, maybe he should apply over here instead, and just having my head ripped off by, you know, this is what we do, this is what the men in our family do. And uh, so Ed, you know, okay, I'm going to go to Gonville and Keys. Um, and so I watched him in his final year of school just collapse. And he, was, he didn't get the grades. And in fact, he failed all his A-levels, your HSC equivalent, and spent the next two years bumming around, doing very little, took up quite a lot of drugs, just crushed him, crushed him, crushed him. The burden of expectation that can do it. So your own desires to, to achieve something, a uh, burden of expectations of others. Control is another big one, the third we'll look at, then we'll move on. If I, just, if I just earn enough money, and if I just have X thousand in the bank, I'm safe. It doesn't matter what happens, you know, I can quit this job. If I just get that amount, in, then I'm safe. If I can just get my kids into that school, I'll have secured their future. I'm going to be in control. I'm going to achieve these things. Now, that's quite stressful, because you can't control life. Now, those are just three little examples, burdens, burdens. But you, I can't tell you, but when you come to think about how you're using your time, what does drive you and shape you? Part of the reason I bothered to write this book was it struck me that lots of guys were just driven by listening to the voice that shouted loudest. Could be their boss, could be their parents, could be their spouse, but whoever shouted loudest is what they did. We probably want to make decisions more sensibly than that. What should I be doing? 
and choose proactively. All sorts of burdens placed upon us. And into that setting, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And so it seems to me that two things we need. We need one, to receive his rest, and then secondly, to take his yoke, which I think is just another way of saying faith and obedience. So to enter the rest of Jesus, well, it's to be saved. But you know, rest in the Bible, I mean, to simplify the issue, rest in the Bible is always both a time and a place. In the Old Testament, the time is the Sabbath, the place is the promised land of Canaan. In the New Testament, the place is glory, it's heaven, it's where we're going to be in the future, but the time is now. What does it mean to enter the Jesus's rest? It's to cast our burdens upon him and trust him. So, of course, the most fundamental one of all is for salvation, not to think we save ourselves, but to accept that salvation is a gift. It's given to us. But even in those examples we just thought of briefly, I need to prove myself, I need to be the best in the orchestra, whatever it may be. But I'm a Christian now, how am I to think differently? Now I've put my faith in Christ. Well, I, I am loved by the Father. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am a brother and sister. I will inherit with him. So if I end up playing for a second orchestra, the University of Bonn Orchestra in Germany rather than the Berlin Philharmonic, if I make a living out of that, that's okay. That's okay. I don't care so much about the expectations that others have placed upon me. I can just sit a little bit more easily to what my parents want, my peers expect, what my spouse demands, because, well, because the, the Lord is delighted with me as a follower of Jesus Christ. He, he does love me. I, I don't need to be in control myself because I trust him. I trust his provision makes a wild difference, having faith in him. And then obedience, well obedience is taking up his yoke and learning from me. That is, I think, just learning a sustainable pattern of doing life. It's discipleship, uh, for want uh, of another word here. Now, I, I can't unpack that for you simply. You've got to work out when you come to think of your use of time, what shapes me, what drives me probably need someone else's help sometimes because we can have blind spots. But if you don't know those things, it's very hard to shift how you use your time. The inward pressures do determine how we respond to the external ones, the demands people make upon us. You've got to know them. Oh, that's not an easy step. That's not easy one, two, three steps to making my life more manageable, is it? No. No, it's not. It's growing in faith as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Okay, those are inward, inward pressures um, that are upon us. What do we do? Let me look at the, the outward pressures then. Uh, we can work in three main arenas, work, church, 
and family. Oh, maybe before we do that, let, let me just return to Helen's comment. Psalm 90, a favorite psalm. It's a wonderful psalm, is it? They, uh, uh, I mean, there are many requests in there, but I think when I read it, the, the, the two that stand out are, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then the final prayer right at the end of Psalm 90, establish the work of our hands. Which is quite a big prayer to pray, it seems to me. Because essentially at the end of Psalm 90, you're saying, Lord, make what I do last forever. That's what he's saying at the end of Psalm 90, establish the work of our hands, O Lord. Yes, establish, he says it twice, establish the work of our hands. Make what we do last forever. That's quite a big thing, isn't it, to say. Do you ever pray that? Lord, what I do, I want to last forever. That's a biblical prayer. Why would you not want that? Don't you want to, even in this life, you get to the end of this life, I'm, I slightly daydream of um, sitting around in my 70s in a, a rocking chair with all my best mates, and uh, we'll still be having races up and down church in rocking chairs because we're all slightly competitive and driven characters, really. But we're sitting around, and at age 70, what do you want to say to one another? Look what we've done. What have we done that will last? Look at the time I invested in well, what will last? You want to make your life count, don't you? I became a Christian at university, and um, uh, I remember getting baptized at church. The same night I got baptized at church, a super guy, I can't remember his name, sadly, but a super guy got baptized. He was a, a window cleaner, and he'd been converted in his mid-50s. And, uh, he, you know, it was quite exciting, you know, baptisms are always quite exciting. And uh, in that church, it was, the, it was in the tank, so you're in the tank, uh, I don't know, you seem to be lacking a tank uh, here, it's a good Anglican church. Um, but um, uh, we were thrown in the tank, and uh, it's, you know, it's exciting. And, uh, but I remember vividly, because he, he said something sort of slightly unforgettable, which was, oh, yeah, I envy you. You've been converted age 20 and here I am I've become a Christian age 55 I'll always be grateful of course that Jesus found me age 55 but what a waste of my life how I envy you those 35 years don't waste them <laughs> it's slightly memorable isn't it don't waste them no, don't, don't mishear me. That's not just another burden that someone places upon me. I live my life thinking I mustn't waste because otherwise that poor guy, I'll see him in glory. And he'll say, well, what did you do with your 35 years? I should have had them, not you. I was just cleaning windows and wasting my time. You know, it's not a burden, but it's a good question to ask, isn't it? I don't want to waste my time. You know, the end of the powerful parable of the tenants in Matthew 25 one man given five, one given two, one given one talent. It's quite hard to know quite how they transfer, but call them million dollars. It's about that, probably, if you do the math, something like that. Five million dollars, two million dollars, one million dollar. What are you going to do with the resources, the gifts, the talents that the Lord gives you? Well, it's, really exciting. it's very generous of the Lord to give us what he's given us. It's a very generous, that's the whole point of that parable, I think, Matthew 25. It's a very generous master to give, I mean, it's not, 
we're silly little children often, aren't we? And what do you give little children? You might give them, you can go to the shop and spend $2. You don't give them a million dollars to go to a sweet shop. You would never do that because they'd waste it. The Lord gives us extraordinary resources. It's the point of that parable. And in this life, the time we have, the money we have, the education we've received, the opportunities we've, had, we've been given. And uh, dare I say it, many gathered in this sort of church, in this part of Sydney, you've been given much. And of course, what we all long for on the final day is well done, good and faithful servant. Use them. Use them, use them. Don't waste our lives. So practically, what does that mean? Because I've still got to go to work tomorrow and uh, you're going on and I'm getting tired and I should have gone to bed. That way I'd have been, been more energy for work tomorrow. Okay, let's look at these three arenas. The, um, uh, as I say, we move in many more, but these are the three main arenas of life, so it seems to me, of work, church and family. And uh, I found it helpful to think in these terms. Uh, we we'll do work first of all. You can see there's a sort of uh, chart. Now I think there's enormous freedom in how we use our time. The Bible gives us vast freedom in how we use our time. But there are certain parameters we can discern. So you might call it this way. There's a floor of obedience. You don't want to sink below the floor. Then you're sort of failing in the arena of work. Uh, and then there's a, you might put it this way, a ceiling of idolatry. And if you're going and working above that level, it, it's probably too much. And the other arenas will suffer of life. And that's generally how it works. This, how we, if we spend far too much time at work, probably church and family will suffer and be neglected. If we're obsessive about our family, well, it may be our jobs and church life suffer and so on. You, you see how that works. So look, briefly, uh, let me give you just one Bible text for each of these areas. Uh, and then once I've done one or two, you, can, you could probably work it out for yourself how the rest operate. Let's think of work. First of all, so uh, familiar verses, hopefully, probably, Ephesians 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not men. So what will be failing in that regard? Well, you drop below the floor of obedience. You, if you're only working hard when the boss has his eye on you, you've failed the biblical level, the biblical standard there, haven't you? Because Paul says, don't do to just do that. So, I mean, and probably that's not the most common mistake that a group such as this make. Okay, there's the, the occasional time spent poking on Facebook and tweeting on Twitter and bidding on eBay and, and the like. But generally, yeah, I mean, we all know if we're doing this, that one wrong. You know, we've got one screen where we're just mucking about with our friends and then someone walks into the office and whoosh, on comes the spreadsheet or, or whatever it is. You know, it's kind of obvious. Well, you're, you're, you're probably failing a little bit there. You're walking, going below the floor of obedience. But idolatry is perhaps more of an issue so if you're working primarily for the boss, not the Lord. So Ephesians 6 verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not men. It doesn't say serve your boss as if he is the Lord. That's not what he says. Because the Lord Jesus is your Lord. And your employer, your boss, your clients are not. 
if you're working primarily for greed, pride, out of anxiety, well, those are probably idolatrous ways of working. And if you're failing to hit, as I say, baseline obedience at church or, or at home, then there's probably too much. Now, those are pretty broad parameters. It's not very specific, is it? But it means there's all sorts of freedom in the middle. You're free to take a more demanding promotion or, or move to work part-time, take a less demanding job. The issue is, why am I doing it, of course? Why am I moving job? And what are the knock-on implications going to be? Now, don't mishear me. There's a time and season for all sorts of things. But, um, you know, so one man is uh, 35 years old and uh, works... Um, well, let me use real examples. I'll do it faster. Otherwise, I'll try and make them up on the spot. Okay, I can think of guys at church. Uh, 35 years old, two kids under the age of three, uh, uh, works as an accountant in a bank, uh, but he's asked to go for a promotion. His hours will be longer. He thinks to himself, if I do this job, the promotion job, then I can... Uh, that's such a great line on my resume to have this job at this particular institution that in the future I can easily drop my hours. I could even go part-time. Once I've done this financial controller job at Bank of America in the, the London branch, I, that's just so, so much kudos. I can then go down a ladder in terms of the institution and probably work part-time. So I could increase now for a decrease then. And that may be a very sensible decision for him to make. Oh, my wife is at home now and really loving it. Maybe in a few years' time, she'll want to go back to work, and if she's part-time, then it'd be good if I've got a bit more flexibility. That might be a wise decision. As long as he sits down with a couple of mates and says, I'm thinking of doing this, and they say, why? And will you ever drop down? Uh, and let's chat, chat it through. You see, I'm not saying... Please don't hear me. I'm not the pastor who says everyone should work fewer hours and spend all their time in this church building. That's ridiculous. But, you, you know, there's a lot of freedom. Let me have another go. Church. Um, here's a familiar passage, uh, Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Okay. So what will be dropping below the floor of obedience? Well, failing to meet regularly with church. Or, as Ephesians 4 would also put it, failing to contribute at church as a part of the body. Now, it's a funny thing, regular, because regular is a funny old word. Uh, I have plenty of people at church who, who say, oh, I, I come regularly. Yes, once a year is regular. Once every six months is regular. When you say you're regular, how often do you think you're here? Oh, every other week. Well, I just want to look through your calendar. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's a little less than that. Uh, and it's easy to delude yourself. Now, London is a wonderful city. But one of the wonders of London is it's close to lots of other wonderful cities. And the amount of time people spend on airplanes doing city breaks from a congregation such as ours is extraordinary. 
uh, and um, dare I said, uh, if those travel from your fair city to our fair city for a time in their 20s, the desire to travel is even particularly more acute uh, amongst uh, uh, Antipodeans who come over. But are you meeting regularly? Because if you're not meeting regularly, well, that you've failed, in one sense, the obedience, the basic floor of obedience. And everyone should be contributing in some way. If you're not contributing in some way, you've failed. Okay. Um, what's the sort of idolatrous use of time at church? Well, feeling you're indispensable, that's often a common one. Uh, drives you nuts as a minister. Uh, people feel they, they won't give up a job, they won't give up a job, they won't give up a job. No, I do it, I do it, I do it. This is my thing, it's my thing. And then they leave and no one else has got a clue how to do it. You, you always want to train someone up to follow. But that would be one sort of perhaps way of being idolatrous in church time. But there's most of what we're talking about. There's enormous freedom. You can give up an extra night for church activity, evangelistic course, I don't know, some work with the homeless, whatever you do. You could be free to use your holiday to go and help at a beach mission, a short-term mission project. There's freedom. There's loads of freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Very briefly, family. Uh, Again, um, uh, familiar verses, Ephesians 5, hopefully. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Honor your father and mother. Don't exasperate your children. Okay, what is neglect of the family? Well, putting your own self-interest and comfort above your family. That'd be one thing. My great temptation at the weekend is the newspaper. Just to sit on a Saturday morning in a chair with a newspaper and a decent cup of coffee. Fabulous. It doesn't often go that way. Um, Failing to teach Christ to to your family. Failing to honour your parents, got to understand that rightly. What would be obsessive behaviour with the family? Oh, skipping church regularly to take kids to whatever it is that takes place on a Sunday. Most sport in the UK takes place on a Sunday. Football, cricket, rugby, what do you do about that? It's quite a big issue for Christians. If you love your family more than Jesus. But there's a whole amount of freedom You can go on a romantic mini-break or not with your spouse. You can take a family holiday or not. But the the pressure to be, certainly where I live, the pressure to be the perfect spouse or the perfect parent is quite a strong one. There's this slightly obsession in Christian circles. You know, if you've got three or five children, whatever it may be, um, I need to give each of them an hour of quality time a week. I have to give, you know, I, you know, I go, for, go for a coffee with an hour for him and go and do something with him for an hour. Actually, you don't. You really don't. It might be a really good thing to do, but that's slightly viewed as, if you're not doing that, well, you're probably, you know, do you really love your kids? Um, and people get really obsessive uh, about that and become a very child-obsessed uh, culture in the UK. I'm going to let me go to the uh, the bullet points underneath. I think, in one sense, perhaps it's more useful if I end this bit earlier and give you more time for questions, because uh, it's it's the the interest comes in the detail. Really, here's some questions for you to ask. Do you go to work satisfied with Jesus Christ, resting in him, trusting in his good provision, or do you go to work fearful that success rests in your hands alone? There is a world of difference between getting up and thinking, oh my goodness, I've got so much to do today. I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. 
my boss is so angry with me, I won't make it through to tea, or whatever it is. Um, stressed, anxious toil, and trusting work. It's a real difference. You had the picture in Psalm 127 of eating the bread of anxious toil. Um, there's a real difference between anxiety driving your work and faith driving your work. How do we have it so that trusting faith drives our work? I think it's almost impossible unless you spend time with the Lord. Oh, but that's another thing I've now got to fit into my day. How long do I have to spend with the Lord to move from being anxious to trusting? Well, I don't know. How much of a worrier are you? Okay, there's no answer to those things, are there? But please, please never allow the thought of, oh, oh golly, Paul Dow's not here, but here's another vicar telling me to spend time with the Lord of a morning. I haven't got time for that. It's not a burden. Time with the Lord refreshes. You think of it in these terms. If you, if you go home tonight and you're walloped and you collapse into a chair it, oh, and you rest upon the chair, the burden falls upon the object. Yeah? Or the exhausted toddler can walk no more, has walked... 5k and then just sits on the ground and protests and cries and says I can walk no more but daddy picks him up and puts him on his shoulders and the child falls asleep nodding on his dad's head the burden has fallen upon the object there his dad and I think when we come to Jesus and spend time with him it's not a burden the burden goes upon him. Do you see? You never think, oh, I don't want to spend time sitting in a chair. You never think to yourself, oh, what I'm really, I really just really resent the fact that I've got to get into my bed tonight and lie down on my bed. Now, the, <laughs> it's a delightful thing to allow yourself to rest upon the bed because it will refresh you. It's a very wonderful thing to come to Jesus and he will refresh you. You do see, don't you, that at the, the, the top there, that, that isn't vague, that's a promise. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble enough. That is a promise. It's not some mythical, unobtainable goal. To throw your burdens upon him and start each day resting on him, in him, it's refreshing, it's wonderful. Sometimes we just we forget how good he is, how wonderful a saviour. Oh, look, you need to work out what are the bullet points again. What are the possible areas of neglect or idolatry that obviously strike you? Uh, am I obviously neglecting an area? You've got to ask your friends. Who can honestly help me assess my commitments? Who can do that? Who are the friends? It normally has to be someone outside of your marriage. Uh, your spouse can help you. But you can often collude in how you use your time. You, uh, but sometimes you, mates are really needed as well to help you work that out. You have to plan a state of the nation review. I don't know if you have such a thing in Australia, but you, you know the, the, the states is the best place. You know that the State of the Union address and the president stands up and says the state of our union is strong, uh, and he sort of gives an assessment of where the country's at. I find, or so we find. 
regularly, normally the second half of a time of holiday is the great time in a marriage, certainly, to have the conversation. How are we doing? Don't ask it day one, day two, badly. Um, the back half of a holiday, how are we doing? What needs to change? Is it sustainable? You know, I just think there's realism that we have a number of guys at church who are in utterly demanding jobs. You know, I, in front of my little book, I dedicated it to the elders at church, at Christ Church. I think they're phenomenal. I, all of the elders, really, they're doing 80 hours plus. They've all got youngish families. Uh, none of them have got kids who are teenagers yet, so there's all, most of them are, are junior school age. Uh, and they give so much to church. But all of them, I think, live with one hand on a ripcord. And every six months, they sit down with their spouses and their mates and say, can we go on like this? Golly, or do I need to pull the ripcord and say, I'm out of here, and I've got to do something different now. I can't do this job and everything else right now. And that's okay. You know, they don't find it burdensome. They, they only do have that conversation every so often. But you've got to be realistic. Because you can get your life into the most perfect balance of time of how you, your friendships and the, your, your relaxation and church and work uh, and family, you get them all into perfect alignment and balance and you think, oh, I've got life absolutely sorted and it lasts a week. And then something happens and it all changes. You know, there, it just changes. There are seasons when your family will need a lot more of you, both the younger ones and the older ones. Uh, my, you know, five years ago, my parents were a great boon to us when we were trying to look after two children. Now my dad's dying of cancer. They don't give us time. They take time from us. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly blunt way of putting it. But, but we go and see them all the, you know, my dad's probably got a few months left to live. Of course, we're there every other weekend minimum. Of course. Is that tiring? Yes, it is. Will it go on forever? No, it won't. But that's the right thing to do now, isn't it? You see, it always changes. So never think you've got everything into perfect alignment. You have to keep assessing your time. It's never, it never stays static. So you have to plan a sort of state of the nation uh, on a regular basis. Uh, uh, idolatry is not simply an issue of ours, but uh, what you're thinking about. Plenty of guys. It's funny you go to, I don't know if it's the same over here, but it's a funny phenomenon. You can go to, Saturday morning is often viewed as dad time in the UK. Mum has been with the kids all week. Dad's been at work. And Saturday morning is dad time. And so dads take the kids to the park. And so you go to most parks in London. London's full of public parks with climbing frames. You go to most parks in London on a, uh, a Saturday morning. And all the kids are on the climbing frames. And there'll probably be about 20 men in a row sat down. <laughs> like that. And are they having great family time? Well, you'd probably say not. So it's not just an issue of ours. It's what you're doing with them, of course. You need to be careful who you have as your role models. Be wary of too close a comparison with others because the circumstances of your life are different. Uh, we have one guy at church, Mark. He is a, a managing partner in what we call a magic circle law firm, law firm that is one of the top five law firms uh, in the UK. He's a managing partner there. His hours are colossal. 
uh, uh, his colleagues are troublesome. When you get to that level in a law firm, everyone's sort of trying to knife one another in the back. You spend as much time dancing knives as actually doing law. Uh, he got three kids who are all under the age of eight. Um, uh, he's an elder at church. Every week he runs Christianity Explored in his law firm. He sits down and opens the Bible with 10 uh, uh, non-Christian colleagues. Uh, and you look at him and think, wow, but he cheats. <laughs> because he's the smartest guy in the world. What he can do in 10 hours takes everyone else 30 hours, so he just cheats. And if you try and copy him, you'll die because you haven't got the cheat mechanism that he's got. You know, you have to slightly choose your role models carefully um, in that. And, you know, some people, you, know, you don't always know. So be, be, be wise. It can be sometimes useful talking to others. And my last little thing there, look, Christians are generally busier than their peers with more responsibilities because we have parents and jobs and friends like everyone else. And we have church which is a great joy, but takes time. And so you just got to bear that in mind. And sometimes it means something has to give. If I want to be as successful as this guy, uh, and I've got all his commitments plus church, something might have to give somewhere. I'm not saying what it is, but you've got to work these things out. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And uh, I have much more I could usefully say, but um, I'd rather hear where I've irritated you, where I've raised questions, um, and you can come back at me. How do, how do we do this? Do we have a complete pause?